Shalom. I am Rabbi Michael Pont, and this is For the Love of Judaism. On today's episode, I'm really thrilled that we have Gil Hoffman, who is the chief political correspondent of the Jerusalem Post. We're going to have a wide-ranging conversation about Israeli politics and society. Um, it's great to have someone like Gil on the program. Gil, welcome. How are you today? Absolutely wonderful, Rabbi. Happy to be with you. All right, let's let's get right into it. Gil, I wanted to ask you about the Abraham Accords, the peace deals that Israel has struck with Arab countries like the United Arab Emirates. I was wondering, what's your impression about the Abraham Accords vis-a-vis Israel's standing in the world? And does the average Israeli, like on the street, do they see them as positively as I think we see them uh, here in the U.S.? Rabbi, I've been covering politics for 25 years almost at the Jerusalem Post, and uh, my job is to write about issues that divide Israelis. And the Abraham Accords are the ultimate example of proof that Israelis can unite. Uh, There is no more consensus issue than Israel normalizing ties with countries in our region in a very positive way. Uh, I've been to Dubai and had a wonderful experience there. Countless Israelis have been there and been welcomed very warmly. We've seen what a warm peace can be like. I wish, I wish that the peace with Egypt and Jordan all these years would have been as warm as the peace with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Morocco have been from the moment those agreements were signed. And they were based uh, on a, a couple things happening. First of all, an impression that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been going on for so long and not making serious headway, and that there is no reason anymore to wait for that conflict to be solved to make peace with our neighbors. And they were also based on an impression that Israel had more in common with its neighbors uh, after uh, the initial Iran deal scared all of us that we really were allies more than we realized. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Do you see other countries following suit in the next couple of years? Uh, Please, God. You know, uh, a couple members of parliament were in Indonesia this week for an event. Yitzhak Rabin visited Indonesia when he was prime minister back in 1993. Uh, No reason for us to have a conflict with Indonesia. Um, and uh, there are other countries in the region. And you, and you know what? It, it was the initial Iran deal that led to the Abraham Accords. But those mutual concerns are there again. And that brings people closer. So you mentioned the Iran deal. Let's talk about that. I know that in Israel, there is grave concern about the Iran nuclear agreements. Uh, what do you see happening moving forward? You know, Israel doesn't want to fight with the administration in Washington. Uh, Netanyahu took a much more aggressive approach than the current government in in Israel is willing to take. Uh, The impression among the people closest to Naftali Bennett is that there was no way of stopping it. They saw it as a a religious obsession uh, that the current administration in Washington has. You can't fight a, a, a religious obsession. So there is obvious concern that this will lead to uh, and, and an unimaginable amount of money being in the hands of uh, the top terror-supported state in the world without any commitment to stop that terror shortly after they attacked the United States in Iraq 
And then now we'll be able to attack America and other allies of America besides Israel around the world. And uh, that's something that Israel will have to prepare for. America will have to prepare for. Israel's allies will have to prepare for. It's going to make the world a lot more dangerous place. Think about the Putin uh, times 100. Uh, But it it is what it is. Right. The Obama administration, I think their goal was to slow the process of the Iranians obtaining nuclear weapons. Um, Do you think that that's a a good rationale or does it just not hold water? Well, if they had updated the deal, maybe, and maybe they still will. Uh, But the deal back then had its initial sunset clauses in 2025. Well, back in 2015, 2025 seemed like the distant future. Well, now it doesn't. Right. And if you're facilitating Iran having total legitimacy to move forward with its nuclear program in another uh, two years and eight months, that doesn't seem like something that can be so positive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm very worried about it as well. Um, I guess we'll just have to you know, see what happens and advocate as strongly as we can for not just a safe Israel, but, but a, safe, a safe world. Let's talk a little bit about Israel, the Jewish, the Jewish community of Israel and the Jewish communities um, in the diaspora outside of the state of Israel. I know that there is a lot of angst amongst American Jewish leaders about the fraying relationship between Israel and the American Jewish community. Uh, Just for an example, you know, it seems, according to surveys, that young Jews are more willing to question the policies of the Israeli government, especially about treatment of the Palestinians. What do you see for the future of the relationship between um, Israelis and American Jews? It needs to be fixed immediately. And uh, the people in power in Israel realize that. We have the most diverse government in Israel's history. They don't agree on very much, but they agree that Netanyahu mishandled his relationship with American Jews, really focused too much on Orthodox Jews and evangelical Christians for both uh, low-hanging fruit instead of making the effort that needs to be made day in and day out to reach out to uh not the converted and not the unconvertible, but the overwhelming majority, the 90-something percent in between. So uh, the people who are in positions of power to be involved in that are all people who understand that, Uh, whether it's our foreign minister, Yair Lapid, our president, Isaac Herzog, his brother, the ambassador to Washington, the diaspora affairs minister, Nathan Shai, uh, these are all people who get it. We need a chairman of the Jewish agency. Uh, not electing one is a tremendous blunder. But um, they're all working on it. It's going to take time. There's nothing more important for Israel's future. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, it's heartening to hear that there's a realization and a change in tone from the Netanyahu government um, to current, current ministers. That's, I think that's, that's hopeful. They've committed themselves to that. Certain things are taking more time. Uh, the issue of the Western Wall is taking more time. Healing or, and creating a better uh, egalitarian fair space there that, that diaspora Jews can perhaps feel more comfortable in. 
But uh, for the first time ever, this government has allocated funding to the reform and conservative movements in Israel and around the world. Never been done before. Every step matters. Yeah, I fully agree. And I'm, you know, I'm a conservative rabbi um, and I care very much about Masorti Judaism in Israel. You know, I support Masorti communities. I'm glad that you said that because that's something that's very important to me and to to my congregants and to many people who are listening to this podcast, that Israel should be the home for all Jews, you know, not just one flavor of Jews, you know, the you know ultra orthodox. And that that kind of leads me into the next question I wanted to ask you about the religious tensions, you know, in Israeli society. As far as I know, as far back as the even before the beginning of the state, I think there there have always been simmering tensions. Sometimes, you know, it it flares up between the ultra orthodox in Israel and secular Israelis, and then everything, all the different you know stripes in between. There's some tension between ultra orthodox and religious non orthodox Jews. So. If you could define for us, like I'm, I'm throwing out the term ultra-Orthodox, maybe if you could define for us what that means in Israeli society. And do you agree with what I'm saying about tensions amongst different factions? And if so, how, how are those tensions playing out in Israeli society today? Okay, so uh, about uh, 10 to 12 percent of Israelis define themselves as uh, the term they prefer is Haredi. The boundaries are actually much more firm in Israel than they are in America. In in America, the people in Lakewood would be seen as ultra-Orthodox. The overwhelming majority of them work for a living, uh, whereas in Israel, the Haredim tend to learn Torah full-time, not serve in the army in a country that has a, com- a compulsory draft. That creates resentment. They try to impose their will. And when Netanyahu was in power, uh, they had an, an inordinate amount of power. Um, he wanted to uh, focus on diplomacy, security, economy, and the way it works in a coalition government that Netanyahu could, couldn't form the government by itself. So if he would form a government together with another large party, then they would demand a serious influence in diplomacy, security, economy. If you form a, a government with the ultra-Orthodox, well, they don't care about such things. They care about matters of religion and state, issues Netanyahu could not care less about. So uh, he would let them handle those issues so he could be in charge of what he cared about. Well, now we have a government with no ultra-Orthodox, and this is an opportunity to make changes that the overwhelming majority of Israelis would appreciate. So that that means, first of all, um, making conversion to Judaism easier. We've got hundreds of thousands of Russian immigrants and uh, now Ukrainian immigrants who uh, want to be Jewish, but the path was just made, unfortunately, too difficult. You have a, a reform in the kosher certification industry going on to make it less corrupt. Uh, you have an attempt to change the voting body of the chief rabbinate to try to get a chief rabbi who is not ultra-Orthodox. Wow. Um, uh, those elections are in December. Mark your calendar. Um, and so that they need to change the voting body before that happens. 
there's a lot going on in this government on matters of religion and state to affect change and make Israel more palatable. Well, so you just said a lot that is really fascinating to me. First of all, I've never I've never heard anyone uh, describe Benjamin Netanyahu in that way and why he formed his coalition and empowered uh, ultra orthodox policies or I mean parties. So you're saying that he really he didn't really care about issues of religion and state. So he left that to you know, people like Arya Derry and people who were ministers in his government, which and that freed him to focus on what he cared about, you know, um, international diplomacy and the economy and things like that. That is absolutely fascinating. Netanyahu is very far from being orthodox himself. Right. Uh, you know, when he's abroad, uh, he eats his seafood with, with relish. Um, uh, <laughs> he was not loyal uh to uh, his uh, first wife or his third and current wife. Uh, he's oh. done a lot of things that are very far from poster. Yikes. But there, those are his allies. Uh, you've probably heard about um, leaders, heads of state that were not so religious themselves, but aligned themselves with people who are. Right. So can, to consolidate their own political power. It also makes me feel very sad because it's like he just... He cared more about his own securing his own power than maybe doing what was really best for, you know, for all Israelis. Correct. Oh, OK. Wow. Well, but that's politics. I mean, there have been politicians in, in all countries who do things like that in the name of consolidating their own power, I suppose. So maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. That's the political game. Uh, the politicians spend an overwhelming majority of their time. Uh, staying in power and advancing themselves. Um, we have to be thankful for whatever they do to also help us. Yes. Now, but at the same time, what you said about the current government really trying to help at least loosen the strongholds, the, the strangleholds of the, the Haredi, you know, on power of religion and state in Israel, that, that to me is, is hopeful. I hope that that'll that'll bear some real fruit. It's an uphill battle. They have plenty of challenges ahead. And the longer they get into the current government uh, and it nears its end, the the harder it is to do it because you have elements in this government that intend to cooperate with the ultra-Orthodox in the future in other governments and uh, don't want to upset them. You know, I don't want to, I don't want this whole interview to be such a, you know, so intense and negative. So Gil, I wanted to ask you something. I think you've painted the picture that, you know, Israel is, it's a very complicated place. Um, and that maybe is is putting it euphemistically. And yet with all of its struggles, uh, I read recently that the official happiness, you know, index for countries just came out and Israel ranked as the ninth happiest country on earth. So with, with all of the challenges of being the Jewish state in the Middle East, you know, internal strife and external pressures, how do you explain that Israelis are, you know, amongst the happiest people on earth? First of all, you're speaking uh, to Gil. Uh, my name means happy. Uh, there are about 20 words for happy in Hebrew. 
just like the Eskimos have plenty of words for snow that all have different nuances in their meaning, each word for happiness has a different nuance as well. And uh, Gil, little did my parents know this when they named me, they knew it meant happy that they named me Gil because they only had daughters before and they were happy to get a son. Uh, but Gil is the kind of happiness that you get from uh, getting good news. They, they didn't know that a future journalist when, when I was born, but it, it ended up being <laughs> very fitting. Uh, but that's who the Jewish people are. We, we, we are people who have a religion that, that's really focused on bringing joy and making the world a better place within that joy. And the Jewish state is a country that's inspired by that beautiful, positive religion that we have. And while people have various levels of that observance, that they're all inspired in one way or another, and they're living in, in a culture that's all part of it. And that, so it's, it's a very family-focused society, much less than a, a work-focused society. We believe in um, family time being the most important thing. And constantly have our, our different holidays that bring people together. Um, and I think that having survived the Holocaust and, and being rebuilt from the ashes uh, of the Holocaust in Israel, I think that the Jewish people really appreciate what we have, know how lucky we are. And uh, that brings even more joy. Um, so hopefully we'll keep on climbing up uh, if there are any people here from Finland uh, that are on this uh, podcast, you're going down. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. The challenge has been issued, Finland. We're, we're coming at you. Well, Gil, I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you. And I'm also really excited that you are going to be coming to the States. And in particular, uh, you will be coming to my synagogue, the Marlboro Jewish Center, on Sunday, April 3rd. Could you give us just a just a one minute preview of what you're going to be presenting on April 3rd? My topic is peace, politics, Putin and the pandemic. An insider's look at how Israel is overcoming the world's challenges. We'll be going through uh, each of those issues and talk about how things have moved forward in a positive way for Israel that could be a model for the United States and uh, hopefully uh, make things better for everyone. All right. It sounds terrific. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. I'm glad that you're doing, uh, you know, a little tour in, in the U.S. So Gil Hoffman, again, thank you so much for being on the program today and uh, just have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, again, that was Gil Hoffman, the chief political correspondent of the Jerusalem Post. You know, it was really great to speak with an insider because, as I said, and as you heard, you know, Israel, like any other country, is a complicated place. You know, there are lots of different sub-communities. There's religious excitement, but also religious tension, religious tension amongst Jews, let alone between Jews and, and Muslims and Christians and Druze. It's complicated. It, it, you know, we hear about criticism of Israel in the world, like at the United Nations, for instance, uh, as if Israel was just one monolith and, you know, just one place. Uh, sometimes the critics of Israel don't fully understand the complexities of society, the nuances 
They might see things in a very black and white, one-sided sort of way. And that's really not a fair way. It's not an accurate way to look at any situation. Um, so I would highly recommend if you ever hear criticism of Israel, it's okay to listen to that criticism, but take it with an open mind. Explore all sides of the issue before you make any final decisions. Uh, personally, I'm excited that right now, as Gil told us, uh, Israel has the most diverse government it's ever had. It has in the ruling coalition and Israeli politics, the way the Knesset works is the subject of a whole other podcast. But you have to the majority, you know, vote getter in an election has to cobble together a coalition of at least, you know, 61 out of the 120 seats in the Knesset. So included in the ruling coalition right now is a strong Arab bloc, Arab lawmakers uh, who are part of Israeli society, part of the Israeli government, helping to make decisions. That's terrific. Uh, there is an Israeli Arab serving on the Israeli Supreme Court right now. That's also terrific. Israel is incredibly diverse and vibrant uh, and exciting and sometimes frustrating, but it's the Jewish state. It is our home uh, to embrace sometimes chastise, sometimes engage in a serious conversation, but always love. Again, please join us. Come and meet Gil Hoffman in person at Marlboro Jewish Center on Sunday, April 3rd. We're going to start at 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., uh, with a light Israeli dinner, um, some Israeli fare. Maybe come have a little bit of falafel with us. And then uh, Gil will start his presentation. As you heard, he's talking about peace, politics, Putin, and the pandemic. He'll start his presentation at about 6.30. There'll be time for question and answers. Uh, it should be really a great, great evening. Everyone is welcome. That's all for this episode, everybody. Thanks for listening and peace out. Peace out.